Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I want to begin by looking at four things uh, from verse 10. So if you've got your Bible open, you're going to need it to look uh, at them. And uh, you'll find in verse 10, you find firstly that we see the serving saints. They were loving each other, caring for each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other, being there for each other, which according to the writer of the Hebrews is a way of expressing our love towards God. So you find in your verses there it says, love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints. So I want to encourage you that worship is not just something that is confined to a Sunday morning where what you do is that David does a little dance and somebody else raises their hand or something like that. That actually worship is much, much broader than that. And in our serving of the saints, in our caring for people, in our loving for people, in the things that we do for somebody else at our cost, we worship God. We worship God. We do it at our cost. Secondly, we see that God will never forget the love shown to his name in the service of his people. He will remember it. He will reward it, uh, which I think is outstanding. As you look at that, it says that you look at these verses, it says, God is not so as unjust as to overlook or forget your work. I don't know whether you've ever considered this, but what, the, what this is about is the smallest thing. The smallest thing that you have done for his sake the very thing that you have done where nobody else has known that you've done it or perhaps you and the other person and you find that we have a God that knows exactly what you have done and has remembered it. I find uh, the, the coffee time quite a, a, a strange experience. Not because of the coffee that people serve you but actually because down the road in the corridor is a sort of smelly hole where we have to go and wash up. It is the caretaker's hole, and it is the one that they give us to wash up. And what happens on a Sunday is that all you lot, you're drinking coffee, eating lemon cake, all that sort of stuff, you know, eat, going like this, putting on the calories as you eat, drink your coffee. But down in a smelly little hole are usually two or three people that are washing up on, you beha- on your behalf. Some of you have never ventured into this little hole. 
But on a Sunday morning, for you, on your behalf, there are people that come to church and spend their life in the little hole. And I want to say to you this morning, hole dwellers, I want to say this, that the Lord knows and the Lord remembers. You're not overseen by me. You're not even noticed by some, but the Lord sees. Thirdly, we see that God's commitment to remember your love and your service for his people is based on his justice. Look at those verses again, verse 10. God is not unjust as to so overlook your work. Therefore, he cannot do it. It is impossible for him to look at you and sort of to, to forget what you have done. It is utterly impossible. It is part of his nature. So when he looks at your service, when he looks at the things that you have done, he has to remember and store them because he's God. That is outstanding. That, you know, when we forget and we, we, we sort of move on, no, God is not going to ever do that. It is impossible for him to overlook you. It is impossible. So I want to ask you, overlooked people this morning, but not overlooked by God. Overlooked by people, but not overlooked by God. Fourthly, rather technically, but we'll survive it, because it's only a short one. We see that when we love his name, and when we serve our folk and each other, Out of love for God's name, we show the worth and honour of his name. And God would therefore be unjust, stay with me, unrighteous to forget his work. Because it would dishonour himself. So God cannot not remember. Because it would bring dishonour to his name. And he's never going to do that. His aim is always to bring honour to his name. But verse 10 creates a problem. Here it is. We can do the wrong things round. Is that what I said? We can do things the wrong way round. No. I said it the wrong way round. I just need your help at the moment because at the end of this, I'm going to talk about the river of life. But all week, I've been talking about the liver of rife. So when we get there, when it comes up, I need you to be praying in tongues for me, okay? Because we can do things the wrong way around. Okay. The interrelationship of the three things being remembered by God, loving God, and serving people are very important. But it would be, it would be wrong to go away with verse 10 and say this, well, I'd better work hard for serving the saints because that means that God can remember me and I can get a blessing. And the reason that that is wrong is not that God doesn't want to bless you. He does. God does want to bless you. The reason that that is wrong is that the first step is left out. Namely this, that falling in love with the name of God comes first. This is my only message, by the way. This is the one. And this actually can be the missing link in most Christians. 
that what we haven't realized is that the motivating factor for us serving one another, caring for one another, venturing into the hole on a Sunday morning amongst the murk is a love for the name of Jesus. And so what we can find ourselves doing this morning is that we can find our motivation for doing things wrongly placed. And therefore the satisfaction that comes from them, the fulfillment that comes from them, the, the motivation as it were to do them is the wrong motivation. And it's why we sometimes as Christians just bump heads and get things wrong. Trying to serve the saints without being satisfied first with the beauty of God. Without encountering his grace, without knowing his power, without grasping his wisdom, without realizing his truth or his goodness or his justice or his grace or his greatness or his love. He's actually trying to sort of say something like this. I just feel called to walk across the Gobi Desert. But what the Lord did, he said to me, that when I've crossed the Gobi Desert, somewhere, somewhere in the middle of it, will be paradise. But the way that I'm going to cross the Gobi Desert and reach my sort of paradise at the end is really... You know, I won't take a hat to sort of cover me from the sun. I won't take a coat for the intensity of the cold at night. I don't need any food along the way. And certainly I can do this without drinking any water. That really, you know, I can just stroll through this experience and get there in the end. You can't, folks. The reality of this is that if you want to serve and you have this attitude towards serving, namely this, that Jesus and our worship of him is first, you will just dry up and die in the desert. You will. Because it is the wrong way around. So what is our res- res- right response to verse 10? It is literally, see, I've only, it is true that I have only got one message. To put right, have a right response to verse 10 is to put the right things the right way around. We managed to get that out the right way. And that is this that we should be a people who devote ourselves first to knowing and loving the name of God. That this is our primary calling. Without that, service just becomes duty. The quest for a reward from God becomes mercenary. I serve you so that I can get something back from God. It's about what we can get. That service, as it were, stops becoming the fruit of the Spirit. It becomes like a work of the flesh where we sort of get a kick out of doing it. Because people come back to us and say, Thank you, Rupert. 
Thank you so much for serving us, Rupert. I think you're great that you are serving us. And actually, it's a work of the flesh. And the quest for reward becomes... It stops becoming spiritual hunger. It sort of become a little bit like an escape from the pain of reality. About covering the reality with something for a while. What do I mean like that? It means simply this, that when we come to church, whether it be a small group or a prayer meeting or something like this, that we can live in one reality for the, for the time and then we can come out of that reality and sort of live in a church reality. And church reality covers the real stuff for a while. And what we can do is that we can make ourselves, just for a short while, feel wonderful for an hour and a half at a small group meeting or, or at a prayer meeting. or just. But actually, all it is doing is masking life. It is masking life. Because the motivations are the wrong way round. We can come here, we feel good for a little while, but then we have to wake up to tomorrow. There's always the point when you walk out and you close the door. It's just because you, like me, have just got things a little bit upside down. Another way to put this would just be to say this. Could the right response to verse 10 be verses 11 and 12? Hmm. Verses 11 to 12, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope to the end, so that you may not be sluggish, sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So how on earth do we achieve Hebrews 12, sorry, 6, 11 to 12? How do you inherit those promises that you know that are in Scripture? How, do you, how can you inherit those promises that you know that have been prophetically laid on you and yet at this point seem a million miles away from the reality that God has, that God has got for you? How do you imitate the lives of those who have lived with faith and patience? Don't those guys just frustrate you? You look at those guys. They have lived with faith and patience and then there's me. And you think, you know, am I ever going to achieve something of the measure of Dave Simpkins? It's just a joke. (laughs) But you know, but you see what I mean? It does do that. You know, what, what, you know, what I find sometimes is that you go to conferences, prayer and fasting, something like that, and Terry, bring, Terry Virgo brings these books, and he said, what you do is read this book, some sort of biography, and you think, this is not going to bless me, because they're going to raise ten from the dead. They're going to evangelize the whole nation. You know, what they're going to do is church planted 350 ethnic churches. And you're supposed to read this book and it's supposed to bless you. (laughs) And I think, Terry, just do a review on the Beano because I can grasp that and I can be just like Dennis the Menace. And you look at it and you feel something of this. Don't you feel like the the thing that you want to be is just that little bit out of your grasp? 
How do you not get sluggish or dull and weary in all of this? I don't know. Sometimes you, the alarm goes off don't, and, you, and you, want, you want to cast it out, don't you? Do you, ever, do you get like that to me? And ours goes on, sometimes ours goes on that mode where if you hit it wrong, it reminds you again. You know, so you, you need alarm clock hammer, don't you? Because you just think, I'm, you know, do I have to do this? I don't know, all those preachers, just, let me just talk, I don't know if you've ever done this. You think, I've got to get there and I've got to preach this sermon. And you've got this massive book called the Bible. And you sit there and you've got this day marked, study with the Lord. And you've got this book, you know, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for. And you're looking at it thinking, no. And he just does, you know, you just think, it, and you're not sure. You know, people say, go out for a walk, drink water, you know, turn the heating down, anything. But it just feels that, you know, that I am sluggish in my Christian faith. I'm just sluggish at it. You know, I do want to go to the prayer meeting, but, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> You know, I did mean to get out of, you know, I did mean to get out to, to the small group, but what happened? Oh, no, I spilled gravy down my blouse. That's that guy. Do you know, it's that sort of thing, the minutest thing, and we're off. You know, we're not doing it. Because the reality is that that is just sort of how we are. But let's look at these the other way around. It's not by putting in effort into becoming less sluggish. Because I could take somebody like John, who, John, if I excuse me, you see, text this morning say, what time should I be here? We assume that when the text came, that John was in sort of seventh heaven, the duvet was sort of a little bit here, and out of the hand came out of the bed, and we, got the, and we text a little bit. And Phil replied, and, he, and you can imagine Phil replying and saying, now. I don't know what Phil did this. And you can imagine that point thinking, the duvet. Because we know, John, he strokes the top for comfort. <laughs> you see, so, and it's not going to do, it's no good. It actually, John, is no good me knocking on your door and just saying to you, John, as it says in the Proverbs, you are a sluggard. Get out of bed. John, hear this from me. Actually, it does not work. It does not work. And millions have tried this. It's not by imitating a person of faith and patience. It isn't that what you've got to do, Paul and Linda, is you've got to become Dave Simpkins. That's the answer. What if we can get everybody to be Dave Simpkins? Then their lives would be transformed into this magnificent work of God that just changes the world. Or... It isn't by thinking, I don't know whether you're like me, I have a list of promises. These are the promises. And sometimes I look at them and sometimes I think, no, we won't look at them. But you know, sometimes I hear those promises in the context of things that are going on. So I hear something that's said and I, and I, I get this moment. It's a sinful moment. 
But it is a moment. I'm just confessing my sins publicly to And I hear something and they say something. And I think, that promise links to me. And I, my mind goes on. And I think, if I move over here slightly, that I can inherit that promise by just going and speaking to that person about the promise that I've got about my life. So, and you know, so, and it can do that kind of thing. You can think, you know, you can hear something and you can think, well, if I, if I give them a ring, I can tell them all about the promises that God has got for me. So I try and sort of inherit the promises by making them happen. And then they don't work. Because the earnestness to be, is to be focused directly according to this scripture on what it's called here, a full assurance of hope. And if we pursue a full assurance of hope, every one of these things will just fit into place. They'll just fit into place. It will just happen naturally. I don't know whether, you know, I'm saying this, are you like me? But do you find the compare the Mia Cat advert sort of one of the best adverts that has appeared? <laughs> because you've got comparethemarket.com and then over here you've got comparethemeacat.com and the little meerkat at the end looks at you in the camera and he goes, simples. <laughs> Doesn't he? And... The truth is with this is that the most simple thing to motivate the people of God appears to be the most complicated thing. That actually the Christian faith was designed to be simples. But we complicate it. We just make it more difficult And I don't know what it is. It's almost as if we need to have a cell group where we bang our heads together and go, it is simples. The gospel is simples. Church life is meant to be simples. Everything is supposed to be simples. You and me, we are simples. Okay. (laughs) Because if you are looking for something more complicated, you've only looked at the Galatians who, what it says in Galatians, pursued a different gospel. And Paul wrote and said, you've forgotten the one about the gospel of grace about Jesus Christ. He would say, come on, you know, you've just forgotten it. If you, if you relive this, then all that will work. But we need to ignite this in you so that this might work. We could rewrite it like this. I know you shouldn't rewrite the Bible, but I'm all right. (laughs) Just for a second. Rupert, if something happens at this point, you pick up from my notes, okay? Because you're not going to rewrite the Bible after this. Okay. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So being sluggish is not a goal, but trying to aim at it by realizing the full assurance of hope is. 
imitating the faithful is a goal. But you aim at it by realizing a full assurance of hope. Inheriting your promises is a goal. I want God to give you all your promises. But you aim at it by realizing a full assurance of hope. It's the same thing that we saw in verse 10. Our goal is to serve the saints. We want to serve you as best that we possibly can. We want you to love each other, care for one another, be there for one another. But the way to aim at that goal, according to verse 10, is by loving the name of Jesus, by loving the name of God. Another goal was that the Lord would remember our work. The Lord would remember what we've done. But it isn't that we need a list so that we just remind Phil every time that we do anything. No, the way that the Lord will remember our work is through loving the name of God. That is the way. And I I believe that we need to fight to maintain the full assurance of faith. I don't think we've grasped how much this is a battleground for where we are right now. I want to say this, this is a fight. This is a battle of your mind. This is a battle for your heart. Because... We seem to try and achieve everything by slipping out of grace to achieve it. And that's the main thing again that I want to say. It's this one message again. It's the main thing I want to get across. There is a fight to be fought in the Christian life. But the fight isn't for effort or earnestness or laziness or sluggishnessness. It isn't any of those things. It isn't for serving, it isn't for endurance, it isn't for working hard. It is. The fight is so that we can maintain our full assurance of hope. So that we can fight for a love of the name of the Lord. I believe that if we can win that fight, all the things that we long to do will be ours. We've got a technical bit, and then we're coming up to the liver of rife. Okay? Here's the technical bit. Verse 11, if you've got it in your Bible, it says this. We desire that you show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope to the end, so that all the things will fit into place so that all the longings will fit into place, so that all the promises will fit into place, so that all the serving will fit into place. If you want not to be sluggish, and if you want to imitate the patient ones, if you want to imitate the faithful sin, if you want to inherit your promises, don't get your focus wrong. Don't get your focus wrong. The technical bit continues, and I'll miss that one out. No, it's there, isn't it? There it is. Because it says there, show the same earnestness, the clear link, as it were, and we'll move over the technical bit in a minute, between verses 10 and 11 is the word same. We desire you to show the same earnestness. You have to say, the same as what? What? And the key 
is noticing the word show in both verses 10 and 11 and 12. So show the same earnestness in verse 11 is what you showed in verse 10. And what you showed in verse 10 was to love the name of God. God is not unjust as to, show, as to forget your work and the love which you showed towards his name. Now, show the same earnestness. What does all that mean, Nigel? Hang on in there. Do not fall asleep at this point. Let's rewrite it again. You showed love towards the name of God and it came out by serving the saints. Now show the same earnestness towards the full assurance of hope and it will come out in the imitation of the faithful and the persevering saints. That is it. You showed love towards the name of God and it came out in serving. Now, have earnestness towards the full assurance of hope and it will come out in, the f- in imitation of the faithful and the persevering saints and inheriting the promises. It will come out that way. So we need to be loving God and hoping in God or loving in his name and having a full assurance of hope. And I want to lump these two together because I want to just try and show to you that actually they are the same thing. Loving God and hoping in God are the same things. Loving in the name of God means this, that we are satisfied with who God is right now. Let me ask you that question right now. Are you satisfied with who God is right now? That's the hurdle. This is the battle. This is what we're talking about. If you are wavering right now, then you will now understand that you are in the middle of what the Bible calls spiritual warfare. It is a battle for your mind. It is a battle for your heart. Because the thing is that now, when I've asked you that question, God is not everything to you. We'll come back to that. Having a full assurance of hope means that I will be satisfied with what God has for me tomorrow, for the future. Are you looking forward to what God has for you tomorrow? Are you dependent on him? Are you looking and thinking, tomorrow? Today's half gone, but tomorrow is with the Lord. Today is with the Lord. Tomorrow is with the Lord. What what a fantastic position that I am in. I'm with the Lord now. I can be with the Lord tomorrow. See, they're not different things. They're the same things. Jesus is everything for me today. And tomorrow, he will be my everything. I live for him today. I live for him tomorrow. It's his full assurance of hope. It is the most fundamental aspect of our Christian life. The most basic thing that we have to learn. The way to serve others, the way to be patient, the way not to be sluggish, the way to inherit the promises, the way to be remembered God, is actually to show great earnestness, zeal, diligence, passion, whatever way you want to do it, 
in love in God today and a commitment to love him tomorrow. It is the most fundamental thing in the Christian life. So when you look at him, you think, this is a privilege. When you look in tomorrow, this is a greater privilege. And the devil, how does he work? He wants to rob you of that privilege. He wants to say to you, nah, that don't work. Be satisfied with something else. He wants to say to you, nah, God is small. Jesus' salvation is part of the whole, but not the whole. He wants to say, no, live today and enjoy today. Be consumed in what Jesus has done for you today, because actually today we happen to be in church. But tomorrow... And it's true. It's why that most of us are not waking up in the morning and thinking, my primary role this morning is to spend time with him. So we become Sunday feeders, Wednesday feeders, all that sort of stuff, and we get ourselves into such a mess. Why? Because that was the way that the devil would have it to do. If I actually said to you the devil was sitting on your doorstep, you'd say, come on, Nigel. But actually, that is the way that he works. He wants us to, he wants us to be not satisfied with Jesus today and not satisfied with Jesus tomorrow, to find something else. I don't know whether you noticed when you came in, there's some posters on the wall. It's been the Glindua Ball which always puzzled me because I always thought bulls were blokes in things with one of those and ladies in long dresses. But according to that sort of thing out there, it's much wider now. It's about fun fairs and stuff like that. Go. And I was just trying to look at those signs and think, how do you get on there, those sort of things out there, those fun fair things with the dress and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, you know, the danger that we have as Christians is that we we have had the world come into us and tell us we can be satisfied elsewhere. And we sort of have forays into it. So we sort of, we, we're over and we're satisfied. And then we come back and we're not and that sort of stuff. And actually, one of the works of the devil is actually to say this, you cannot be satisfied with just Jesus alone. And here's the work of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus will be glorified. That the Holy Spirit comes so that we will glorify Jesus. So the, we have an incredible thing, a battle that goes on. The Spirit's coming and trying to touch our hearts so that we will glorify Jesus. And get those in perspective. And the devil comes and says, nah, you can find it somewhere else. And it's a huge battle that goes on. So is there diligence in the Christian life? Yes. Is there earnestness? Yes. Is there a fight? Yes. 
But if our focus is only to teach patterns of behavior, then we're not church. (laughs) We're not church. That our answer is that we need to be full of Jesus so that he is everything to us. And from that, all these things fit into place. Actually, all other obedience is secondary to that. So am I a pastor? No. I'm a child of God who loves Jesus. It's my primary role. Am I an engine driver? Or a baker? Or a plumber? You know, and that's often where people get out their security from. Who, who are you? What do you first question, you know, hi Rupert, hi, you know, what do you do? And Rupert doesn't reply, I am a child of the living God. (laughs) If second things become first, we will have a law-driven religion. We will not have what somebody described as, and I love this, evangelical, charismatic, God-centered, biblical Christianity. Because it's not built on grace. It is built on, do better, David. You can. Fleur, improve. So here we go. Let's go then to the liver of rife. John said this, 7, 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Yes! Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not glorified. Look at this. Out of his heart will flow Living water, life. We will be able to live. Ezekiel 47, verse 9. Swarms, don't you love this? Swarms of living creatures will live where the river flows. I find that extraordinary. Because here's the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord is quite simple. Where the river flows, we will have swarms. See, church growth is no problem. Church growth isn't something that you do, excuse me, New Frontiers, isn't because you go to base camp or that you move towards 400 or that we plant a thousand churches because we have a great strategy or that we think about whales and the ends of the earth. Here it is, quite simple. Swarms of living creatures will live where the river flows. It's extraordinary. It is so simple. (laughs) 
Why do we have these conferences when it's so simple? Look at it again. There will be large numbers of fish. Where the river... Large no- Well, we're struggling to break out of 30 and into 50. And what's our strategy for 70? And may we move on to 100? And could we plant this church and that church? Fantastic. But look at the scripture, Nigel. There will be large numbers of fish. All we've got to do is get our people to encounter Jesus. Simples. Look at it again. And where this water flows there, sorry, because this water flows there and makes the salt water, what? Fresh. It it doesn't become stale. It becomes fresh. Carry on. So where the river flows, everything will Live. Live. We're going to have people that respond because they live. We're battling. We say, oh, we need X amount of cell group leaders. We need to serve better here. All that sort of stuff that you do. Most churches are certain. We need that there and this here. We're trying to strategize for all that. And what does the Bible say here? It says where the river flows, everything will live. There won't be a problem. The problem is not whether we can motivate our people to do A, B and C. The problem is that we need to put our earnestness into meeting Jesus. Then the river will flow. Then it will live. Bear with me for one minute and I'll finish with this because I don't have much to say because I've only had one thing to say. I feel that this has gripped me more than anything for a long time. And I don't know whether it's gripped you. Probably it hasn't. You're probably looking at your watch. But it is possible for Christians, even those that have drunk for decades from the river of God's grace, to slowly wander away from the fountain of life. It is possible. In fact, I know it's true for people that are in ministry, what I would call the sort of water-gathering ministry. You know, pick it up over here and throw a bucket over there. You know, that sort of stuff, which is what we do on a Sunday. And then we go home and we go, oh, it's that sort of stuff. It is possible for those sorts of people to actually stop going back to the spring and settle for pools, puddles down the hill, and for some of us to not even know that we are scraping at the bottom of a dry riverbed. It is possible. It's possible for pastors. It's possible for cell group leaders. It's possible for the Mr. or Mrs. Average, as it were, to actually live because they're trying to find something at the bottom of a riverbed. And this morning, I think there's many of us that need to hear something simple, something from me that comes to you with a little bit of love. Please, Leave some of the things behind. In fact, no, leave most of it behind. And go back to the stream. And get down and drink. 
and lap until you've drunk so much that you, your thirst has gone. You know, how many of us try and do better? How many of us try and do serving, but like me the other day, you know, I get up in the morning at 8.30, and sorry, no, I get up at 7.30 on a Sunday, at 8.30 I load the car. The last thing I do is put in the flasks. So I put the flasks in and the car's loaded and then I can go out and get changed and all that sort of stuff, come ready to church. And you know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this when you're serving, you just think, I just want to get these things here on time and then I break the flasks. You know, and, and I berate myself because I think, oh, flipping heck, you know, we've got, to, we've got to spend new flask for the church. And I did it, and I was rushing around and trying to do, you know, and there are loads of people that serve like, they just sort of, serve, you know, oh, God, dinner. It was just like that. How many of us are trying to be remembered for our work? Looking at ourselves and thinking, how will it be when I've gone? How many of us are trying to look at some great, magnificent guy called Dave Simpkins and imitate him? How many of us are trying to be long-suffering in situations but are actually struggling to do it? Because underneath you know that in all these things, it isn't coming from a heart satisfied with God it's coming from a heart of you just trying harder to be a better Christian we need to go back to the spring that overflows with God to simply come and love him for who he is for what he's done to find assurance of hope for for all that we that he can do for us now and tomorrow And I don't mean this. Excuse me if this offends you. Too many people come to the spring for the wrong reasons. So they come to the spring because I need to get healed. They come to the spring because I haven't got a job and I need to get a job. They come to him because my marriage is, well, not quite as good as it should be. So I'll come to him. They come to him because their children are a right pain in the neck. They come to him because they've got themselves in debt and they need their bills paid. Lord, would you do that for me? Or if you're a student, I've got this exam because I haven't done this assignment. I need to get that in and I was doing it till four o'clock in the morning and I've just turned up to church and my eyes look rather slitty, but I'm here because I've got to put my assignment in. Something like that. It's sort of almost as if, you know, we sort of we can ask him for anything. That's the way that I come to the spring. I come to him to save my husband, save my wife, save me. That sort of stuff and when I've done that I'm off to Tesco's and then you come and see somebody and you say it ain't working and no wonder it's working not working because our first commandment as it were is to go and dwell on him to go and look at him to go and spend time with him to go and consider Jesus And if you want to know about all those things, what about healing, jobs, spouse, marriages, children, bills paid, church planting, exams, anything we can put under those things, those are all secondary because we seek first the kingdom of God. Because God's not Father Christmas or some, you know, that sort of stuff. He, if you want all those things, 
then come and love him. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. The apostle, high priest, whom we confess. Look upon him until he becomes your everything. Until you love him, until your heart is just bursting for love for him today. Until you get up in the morning and you think, ah, I've spent time asleep and now I can... I can meet Jesus tomorrow. Actually, what is sleep to the Christian? Just a bit of semi-conscious time out, waiting for the next point that you can meet with Jesus. This is the order. This is the answer. This is the simples for all the things that you long for. So I wonder whether musicians can come back. I think we had some songs, didn't we, that we could stick on the end. And I want to ask you a question, just for a short while. I want to ask you, will you consider nothing else apart from Jesus? Will you just look for a while and just put everything aside and focus on him and love him? You know, I don't mind whether you stand or sit. Don't pick your nose or anything like that. But do focus. If you don't engage, then what will happen is that you will walk out here as disappointed as when you walked in. It is actually time for you to just stand up, forget everybody else, and look upon Jesus and focus on him for a while. Tell him that you love him. Tell him that he is your everything. And all the other things will be added to you. Let him be your life. Amen.